Another pot of coffee is brewing. I've just taken my first sip of my fourth cup of the good stuff, which I will definitely have finished by the time I finish recording this episode, and I am stepping back into a genre I really enjoy. Last week was a long one, aided by the simple fact my brain told me it was Wednesday on Tuesday and never adjusted. However, this week coming is Easter, and I am looking forward to a nice, productive six-day weekend. All that means is that it's time for the next book episode of Not Before Coffee Season 4. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, film addict, TV show marathoner, hermit, long-term depression sufferer, and very honest caffeine fiend. Light the candles, get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled, depending entirely on when you're listening, of course, and let's get started. Until Friday, I had been quite restrained in my book purchases, and though I had spent a lot of time looking through the new releases and contemplating what I wanted to get next, I was very disciplined. However, after watching the first episode of Magpie Murders with Leslie Manville, who I think is incredibly talented, especially in Mum, I immediately bought both books in the series by Anthony Horowitz. I love the genre and I like Horowitz's writing. Admittedly, though, the most recent works I have read by him were in the Alex Ryder series. At some point, I may well talk about them. They're YA, they are spy genre, so one of the Spy Hards guys may well beat me to it. I am going to try and refrain from any more spending on the written word until I have made a bit of progress with the books I currently have available, especially as for the last two weeks... I have been suffering horrendously from the dreaded reader's block, which is a pretty depressing thing, especially for the six books I have lying around the flat, half finished. The book I have selected for this week is one that I did mention briefly in my first Book Nook episode. I have not forgotten them. The next one will be out next week. There Goes the Bride is the 20th book in the Agatha Raisin series by M.C. Beaton, and most recently was an episode of the popular Acorn and Sky TV series. I have previously talked about Agatha Raisin when I reviewed the first book in the series, The Quiche of Death, and I will link that one below, but spoiler, I loved it. As There Goes the Bride is the 20th book in the series, which currently stands at 35, with the 36th due for release in October 2022, a lot has happened for our leading lady in the interim. In the first book, Agatha had just retired from her role as a successful PR and moved to the seemingly quiet village of Carsley in the Cotswolds. She was immediately flung into the midst of a murder mystery in which she was initially one of the main suspects. The Quiche of Death was a great introduction to the residents of Carsley, Agatha's friends and future associates including Roy and Sarah Bloxby and Mr and Mrs Boggle and had a very homely feel to it, giving it a definite slot in the world of cosy crime. As I've already mentioned, a lot has changed for our intrepid heroine. Not only has she been married and divorced, but she has also established a very successful business as a private investigator. She has made new friends, and at one point she was married to James Lacey, who did not appear in the first book, but did appear in many subsequent ones. 
Though I have not talked about them, I have read other books in the Agatha Raisin series, including the fifth book, The Murderous Marriage, where she almost gets her happily ever after with James. However, the marriage doesn't go ahead because her first husband, whom she believed to be deceased, shows up. This leads to the couple splitting and going their separate ways until book 12. The Love from Hell. Wow, that's a predictable title. Actually, not so predictable, it's more ominous. Of course, the path of true love ne'er did run smooth, and that is certainly the case for Agatha and James, because their marriage ends just two books later, when he abandons her for life in a monastery. Which, in a strange way, leads me to book 20, There Goes the Bride. For whom the wedding bells toll. Much as it goes against the grain, Agatha Raisin is trying to be a good sport, even though her ex-husband James Lacey's upcoming marriage to the beautiful Felicity Bross Tilkington fills her heart with dread. She takes a break from her successful detective agency to attend the wedding. It seems like a good idea at the time, especially since Agatha's had her sights on the très handsome Frenchman Sylvain Dubois. But as soon as she lays eyes on James, she realises she's still desperately in love. Then, just moments before saying I do, Felicity is shot. And now Agatha, highly competitive, hopelessly romantic and no stranger to scandal, is named the prime suspect in her murder. At the beginning of the book, we're introduced to a very different Agatha. She is clearly heartbroken by the fact that her marriage to James was a disaster, which is disappointing when you consider how long it took them to get to the altar. And she has had a number of rather unfortunate short-lived and unsuccessful love affairs. Things are so bad in Agatha's romantic life that she has actually followed James to Crimea, a place she knows he is fascinated with. He has, after all, written a book or two about the subject of battle, and this is one of his influences. Sadly, this act of travelling to a location where she knows her ex-husband will be comes across as one of desperation and feels almost uncharacteristic for the strong, independent woman she has previously shown herself to be. Of course, she isn't alone for long, and soon she is in the midst of a brief romantic interlude with a suave and sophisticated Frenchman called Sylvain Dubois, who, it turns out, also introduced James to his new fiancée, Felicity Bross Tilkington. Talk about an outlandish name. Whether Agatha senses it or not, there is something not quite right with Monsieur Dubois, but he keeps on popping up and appears to be doing his best to seduce Agatha. Does he have an ulterior motive? Back in Carsley, Agatha's business is successful, but she has lost her protégé Tony Gilmore, who, after being trained, has moved on and started her own business as a private investigator. It seems that Carsley is indeed big enough for more than one business doing the same thing, despite evidence earlier in the book series that says the contrary. It also appears that Agatha has lost her drive. Despite knowing that her marriage to James was a disaster, she just can't let go of the fact that she still loves him and will do anything to stay in his life, even if that means following him around like a lost puppy. To me, this feels almost unlike the Agatha I have become familiar with. Of course, this being a chapter in the life of Agatha, things aren't quite as they seem, even in the future marriage of James and the glamorous and youthful Felicity. Something just isn't quite adding up. However, trying to show that she is a supportive ex-wife, no matter what she is truly feeling, Agatha is being the perfect guest, despite her suspicions. 
There's a lot of confusion in the book when it comes to Felicity and her parentage. Initially, it seems that she is the daughter of Mrs. Bross Tilkington, but then it seems that she was the product of an affair that Mrs. Bross Tilkington had and was adopted by the couple. Whatever the case may be, this is something that is cleared up as the murder is solved. Things are bound to go wrong because what is good cannot last for long. And before the wedding can go ahead, young Felicity is shot and killed. And Agatha has to prove her own innocence because who but the jealous ex-wife, still in love with the groom, can possibly be guilty of such heinous crime? And James? Well, he has done himself very few favours when it comes to being a suspect in the murder of his young fiance, especially after admitting prior to the ceremony, that never was, that he is no longer sure he wants to go ahead with the wedding. Could the doubting groom be the murderer? Of course, now that Agatha and James are both in the middle of this investigation, the main suspects are a police force that doesn't want to look further than the obvious, she is going to have to call on the aid of her now-graduated protégé, Tony, to help prove that they are both innocent. There are so many twists and turns, including the discovery that Felicity wasn't as innocent as sweet as she appeared. There are some skeletons in our victim's closet and they aren't going to leave a single one unturned in their efforts to discover the real motive behind her murder. The strange thing in the entire investigation has to be Felicity's devastated mother asking Agatha to look into the murder, despite her being a prime suspect. There are so many plots within the core plot that it can feel a little overwhelming at times and as they do have a part to play in the whole, I will refrain in giving them away. Needless to say, the plot is unfortunately a little bit convoluted by the time the identity of the real murderer and the motive behind Felicity's shooting are revealed. So, who done it? Was it the mysterious Sylvain who keeps on popping up like a bad penny and despite his charm and good looks is not quite the man he seems? Was it her overprotective father? What is he hiding beneath the concern for his child? Did James actually snap? Could Agatha have been pushed over the edge at the prospect of her beloved marrying someone else? With so many options to examine, poor Tony is feeling overwhelmed by the opportunity she has been given to help Agatha prove her innocence. The experienced detective and abandoned ex-wife may still be in love with James, but there is no way she would kill in order to keep what she no longer has. James made it very clear, in a rather cruel manner, that the relationship was over and was never going to work. The murder of Felicity was only one mystery that Agatha, Tony and their friends end up being at the centre of while they should be enjoying a wedding. We have the murder of one of Felicity's ex-fiancés, trips to France and Spain and Agatha is abducted. Add to that the question of whose Felicity's parents truly are, because that explanation isn't complicated at all, an explosion on a boat, the introduction of an Interpol investigation, a questionable death, and you have the first 200 pages of a novel, all tied up in a somewhat neat bow. Despite the murder and the reasoning behind it actually ending up being quite complicated and more than a little convoluted, it doesn't actually take very long to solve. According to a 2006 paper by Dr Peter Morrell, Associate Professor in Health Sociology at the University of Leeds, there are actually four key motives for murder, the so-called four L's. Lust, love, loathing and loot. This book uses two of them and both could be attributed to just one of the murders that take place.
The book is under 300 pages in length, and strangely for a murder mystery, the last 80 or so pages take place after the crime has been solved. While doing her best to solve the murder of James's fiance, Agatha is also trying to move on. So in order to make this book as full as possible, there is another subplot involving Agatha's disappointing love life. Deciding that she is unable to find the right man on her own, she signs up to join a dating agency for successful professionals. It ends up being a disaster, concluding when Agatha confronts the agency owner, who, it appears, is a con artist, taking poor, lovelorn people for a ride. Of course, though she has been unsuccessful in finding someone to fill the hole in her heart, Agatha is not going to be conned out of money. I have to be honest, this really felt like pages of unnecessary filler. Without the dating agency plot, the book would have probably been a novella. This episode could have been an incredibly short one, shorter even than the book. However, the most recent season of the Agatha Raisin TV show gave me a boon for which I am incredibly grateful. The last two episodes are based on this book. If you, like me, read the book before seeing the new episode, which, given the book was released in 2009, is incredibly possible, then you will be surprised at the lack of exposition this 90-minute adaptation involves. In the book, we know that Agatha is heartbroken and still in love with James, following their short-lived and incredibly disastrous marriage. In the series, Agatha and James never quite made it to the altar, and that's how it remained. Though there has been mention of the trip to Cyprus that is featured in The Terrible Tourist, and the couple did, for a brief time, reunite. They never married and therefore never divorced. Is Agatha still a little in love with him? I would say that she has fond feelings for him, but she is in no way as obsessed with him to the point that book Agatha proves to be. A change in her character, which I have to be honest, I preferred in the TV series. Not only are there some very obvious differences between the book and the TV series episodes, but they actually improve, at least in my opinion, the story that is being told. Let's start at the beginning so I don't miss anything out. There Goes the Bride is the fourth part of season four of the Agatha Raisin series, and like the others, would probably be classed as comedic cosy crime, my favourite genre when it comes to TV, if I'm honest. I'm always trying to find new things that are very similar. And if you really like this, then I would recommend the first few seasons, at least, of BBC's Death in Paradise, or maybe early seasons of Jonathan Creek if you want to dip into the archives. Anyway, There Goes the Bride was released at the beginning of March this year in the US as two 45-minute episodes, but I would suggest you watch them both together so you get the full picture and the complete story in one go. As with most TV adaptations, there are some differences when it comes to the plot and some of the character backstory. We have no impulsive and stalker-like trip to Crimea for Agatha. Instead, she's invited to the wedding as a guest of the groom, a position she maintains with aplomb, but it also feels incredibly genuine. The bride is no longer a privately educated, double-barrelled name with well-to-do parents. She is a Welsh girl called Erwin Jones, who, it is made clear from the start, is her father's daughter. 
Mr. and Mrs. Jones are relatively recently married, and Mrs. Jones is wealthy in her own right, with a ne'er-do-well son who, because he is less than happy with his mother's marriage, also ends up on the murder suspect list. Sylvain Dubois is no longer the enigmatic Frenchman who sweeps Agatha off her feet, a distraction from her James-induced heartbreak. He is in the episodes, but he is not the man you read about in the book. Tony is still working with Agatha and still very involved with Bill Wong, rather than starting up a competing business. One of the biggest differences is the time. The book takes place over a considerable stretch, weeks, perhaps months. The two-part TV version takes place over, at most, a week. Despite the murder being just as complicated, though involving far fewer moving parts, it is far quicker to solve. The motive behind the crime and the subsequent cover-up crimes have some similarities to the ones in the book, but the ultimate goal is very different. Many of the players in the plot have similarities. Both background plots are dark and sinister, though one makes the murderer more self-serving and the other involves a lot more. Wow. (laughs) As I'm writing this, I realise that it is incredibly difficult to explain the plot of a mystery, especially this one, without spoiling anything. (laughs) I'm sorry. I have to be honest and say that I did prefer the TV version of this particular book. Agatha and James have developed as characters. They have become friends and confidants. The night before the wedding, instead of having the doubts he had in the book, James confides his feelings for Erwin to Agatha, acknowledging that, in part, his relationship with the young woman is thanks to his realisation that marriage to Agatha would never have worked out, and that they discovered that before they took the plunge was what led him to meeting Erwin in the first place. This moment shows growth and an acknowledgement that they needed to move on, though James has done so far quicker than Agatha was able to. Ashley Jensen brings something to this role that makes her seem far less abrasive than she sometimes feels in the books. This episode was a great addition to a series that I have enjoyed since I first watched The Quiche of Death, even though it is a far less accurate depiction of what occurs in the book. When I did a review search for this one, I wasn't sure what I would find, given my own feelings on the book, which I will talk about in a little bit. As always, I want to make sure that I get both sides of the story, because no matter what I think, opinions on a book are subjective. What I like may not be your cup of tea, and the same can be said in reverse. Damascar gave the book five stars and is clearly a fan of the series. Agatha Raisin's former husband, James Lacey, is getting married. Agatha has mixed feelings about this event, and to take her mind off it, she decides she has fallen for a glamorous Frenchman she met at James's engagement party. All the series characters are invited to James's wedding, but it seems all is not well with the happy couple, and precisely what is the glamorous Frenchman up to? This is an intriguing mystery with plenty of action and some nail-biting scenes in which it seems Agatha just may have bitten off more than she can chew in the way of murky investigations. It is fast-paced with plenty of interesting characters and amusing dialogue and situations. I love Agatha as a character. She isn't perfect, she's outspoken and tactless, and blunders around much of the time, stumbling across the solutions to her mysteries as often as not. She is very human, but she is also good at her job and her detective agency, with the help of the staff, 
gets good results. This is the 20th book in the series. The books can be read in any order, but they are best read in the order in which they were published so that the reader can follow the relationships between the various characters. Meanwhile, Beachcomber reminded me of a plot point that was so insignificant, I had totally forgotten about it, <laughs> which is quite bad, and they rated it a one-star read. God, this is awful. James is getting married and the bimbo bride gets shot on the wedding day, but after a bit of half-hearted investigating, that's it for that mystery. James and Charles randomly decide to play detectives, find a case and solve it in like six pages. Then there's a bit of this and a bit of that all just filler. Agatha is jealous of everyone and everything. One character keeps trying to kill her, and that's all wrapped up by page 200, yet there's another 90 pages of fluff. Going to Turkey, and another embarrassing falling for a man who is fake, then back to Carsley, where she falls for a man who comes in long enough to propose, take her to France, undergo a personality transplant, and pad the story out for a few more pages. Utterly awful. Does Beaton just randomly pull scenes out of a hat and bash them together, hoping if she gets to the requisite page count, that'll make a story? Erin L gave the book three stars, though, honestly, I felt as though she was being generous after reading her review. I'm in the middle of the next book in the series, having just finished this one. Honestly, I feel like the author is just phoning it in at this point. While I do still see some character development in Agatha, she still makes the same mistakes again and again. And at the end of this book, there were entire chapters devoted to completely pointless crap. I know why it was put in there, but I also strongly suspect it was mostly added to make the book an acceptable length. It also felt contrived and rushed. It was a plot line that may have been better handled as a subplot throughout the entire book, rather than tacked on at the end. I'm also tired of her hip and how ageing it is to have a hip operation, which, let's be honest, I don't know that many people in their 50s who have had to have a hip replacement. She's vain, rude and jealous, and she has every right to be jealous. She's kind of right. Tony is the one solving all of the crimes, so let her do it and just run the business already. I think I might be done with the series. This book was just a mishmash of stories, and there is a lot I can say about it, so let's get to the core of it. Did I like the book? As a fan of Beaton's work, especially the previous novels I have read in this series, I really wanted to. However, it felt as though there was something of a disconnect between the woman I had been introduced to in the earlier books and this one. Okay, so she's been through something since book seven, but the Agatha that is in this book is angry, bitter and abrupt. It's as though she moved backwards following the breakdown of her marriage to James. Granted, he did leave her in one of the worst ways, short of leaving his clothes on the beach, but that doesn't justify the fact that she feels so shallow and empty at the same time. Admittedly, I did read this book over a month ago, but normally I don't forget important elements of a plot. However, the Agatha's somewhat rushed engagement and prompt departure for France, where she discovers that he is not who she thought he was, he's not violent, just incredibly set in his ways and very old-fashioned, two things that will never sit well with Agatha, was so insignificant that it barely registered for me. That plot point felt shoehorned into a story that was already full of extraneous elements, and as one of the reviewers said, felt as though it was included for page count purposes. Will I read more in the Agatha Raisin series? 
As with any series, there are ups and downs. But as of now, I find that I prefer the earlier books. There is something so much less convoluted about them, and this, to me, makes them more enjoyable to read. The one thing that I liked about this particular title was the adaptation to screen. The differences were incredibly cleverly done. They managed to make Agatha humorous, her acceptance of James's relationship a positive sign of their growth as characters, and the plot was cleaned up to the point where anything unnecessary was written out completely. If you're looking for something like this, or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these. I'm sure that if you've listened to my previous episode on the rather disappointing The Thursday Murder Club, then you've already got a list of cosy crime books to hand. But just in case you haven't, I'll add a few more. Definitely start with the classics. Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot and Jane Marple are two of the best investigators there are. So anything including either of these characters will always be recommended. Evil Under the Sun, Death on the Nile, A Murder is Announced, The 450 from Paddington. All of these are cleverly written and enjoyable to read. Then, of course, you have books like the Aurora Tea Garden series by Charlene Harris, the Hannah Swenson Mysteries by Joanna Fluke, or the Garage Sale Mysteries by Susie Weinart. If you want to watch something with a bit of mystery and a lot of cosy feelings, then I would 100% recommend Psych, Murder, She Wrote, The Brokenwood Mysteries, or Dip a Toe into the Agatha Raisin TV series, All of them offer more than an afternoon of fun and light-hearted murder mystery entertainment. Reading has not been on the cards for me this week. I have been tired. I was waiting for my B12 booster, which is luckily just starting to kick in as I finish this script. And I have been working extra hours to try and get things finished, Code was not my friend this week, as every single email I wrote was fine in Dreamweaver, then hated Adobe Campaign. All of that to say that though I have taken delivery of books, I haven't cracked open a single one. I am disappointed in myself and my lack of drive, but I already have my eye on the book I am going to start this evening over a plate of something as yet undecided. And then on Good Friday, I'm recording with a podcasting newbie, as we talk about a book I persuaded her to read. Despite having a rather large TBR right now, I am always looking for fiction recommendations to read. So if there's anything you would love to hear me talk about, send me the author name and title over to notbeforecoffeepodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter or Instagram and I will be sure to take a look. We're headed towards the middle of April I can't believe we're over a quarter way through the year. Where the heck has the time gone? All that means is that there are a lot of good books already on the shelves in bookshops and libraries across the country. But what's been added this week? If you liked The Flat Share, then the latest release from author Beth O'Leary is probably right up your alley. The No Show is released on the 12th of April. Julia Hart, star of the Netflix series My Unorthodox Life, opens up about her journey from childhood to becoming an influence in the fashion world in Brazen, which is also released on the 12th. If you, like me, absolutely love Norse mythology-inspired fantasy fiction, then the latest book by John Gwynne is probably on your wish list. 
This epic tale of myth and magic, The Hunger of the Gods, is due for release on the 14th of April. Are you a massive fan of contemporary romance? If so, then the newest book by West End performer and author Carrie Hope Fletcher, With This Kiss, is also available from the 14th. There are a lot more books being released over the next week, but to list them all would take the next few hours, so this is just a nice little snapshot. Want to find out more? Join my mailing list. I will be starting to send that out with releases and book reviews and everything else in it later on this year. So, how are things in the coffee household this week? It's been a bit of an odd one, if I'm honest. After the positive developments toward the end of last week with being made permanent in my job, I should have been feeling a lot better about life in general. Unfortunately, a combination of factors starting and finishing with exhaustion stemming from my B12 deficiency slapped me around the back of the head. As much as I needed and wanted to sleep, I struggled when I got to bed and then I was absolutely knackered the next day a cycle that continued the entirety of the week. A need to prove myself, which is something I've always had, meant that I worked late four days out of five, and when I did finally finish for the day, the evening just felt as though it vanished. Another thing that didn't help? I really wanted to read this week, but no matter what I did, I just couldn't focus on anything long enough to get into a story. I know that this is down to the lack of B12 and I have to say I feel nothing but relief at the fact that on Thursday I finally had the injection that takes me back on the path headed to normality or rather not exhausted, not foggy, not demotivated. But it still hasn't worked yet. Easter is coming up and I have a lot of plans. I now just need to stay on track As I've already said, I am going to be recording on Friday. I still need to read the book, but with any luck, that will happen soon. And though I am constantly having doubts about my ability, I am now hearing from PR people and author reps asking me if I'm interested in reading this book or that. Though that makes me feel good for a while, it then brings up the concern that I'm going to say something to offend or write something that is misinterpreted. But then, isn't that the fear for everyone? There are some authors I would love to hear from, but I am all for reading anything new. As I mentioned last week, imposter syndrome is one of the many things that pulls me back down to earth with an unpleasant bump, but I am always hoping that something will give me the kick on the posterior I need in order to get a confidence boost. Here's to looking forwards, to getting recognition and creating something that people enjoy, which is why I'm doing this after all. Oh, There is one thing I would love to know from my listeners. Do you think that the name of this podcast is confusing? Inquiring minds want to know, so send me your thoughts as I really would love to hear from you, especially if you've managed to get this far. Well, that's it for this week and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on Good Pods, Spotify or Podchaser. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs and on Instagram at notbeforecoffeepodcast. Or you can check out my website, notbeforecoffee.co.uk. Well, I need another cup of coffee as I haven't had enough. So I'm going to go and put the kettle on. 
Until next time, this is me saying farewell.